Welcome to another episode of Strange Days Live, <clears throat> broadcasting live from Southern California on this Wednesday, February the 14th, 2024, aka Valentine's, aka Ash Wednesday, aka Just Another Wednesday. <clears throat> Thank you for joining us tonight as we continue our quest into the paranormal, the odd, the weird the strange. I'm your host, Doc, bringing you the fascinating and unreported cases of the paranormal as we go into our second night of Forgotten Strange Stories. It's sort of like a new little exposure of cases that haven't been exposed as much as others. So I wanted to kind of look into the obscure urban legends, obscure cryptids, and obscure tales. Some of them real, some of them not. You be the judge. Hope you guys are having a nice night with your loved ones. I suspect it to be a slow live show as people are probably um, going out to a fancy dinner or just kind of cooking home. We have a busily busy household here, so most of us are out, except myself, but there's people that practice and there's people doing other things. So I said, I won't keep my friends waiting and I'll go ahead and broadcast today. Hope you guys are doing good. As always, there's an invitation for you guys to join the back end, <clears throat> which means coming to the show live. And I'll post the link here shortly. Click on the link and I'll admit you into the back end of the show so you guys can partake. There's also our phone number, which is area code 951-888-0313. And you also have the choice of clicking on the link. That's going to be appearing in a few seconds at the right upper, right upper hand side of our broadcast, right where our bell's picture is. Boom, there you should see it now. If you click on that little icon or QR code, you'll be brought into the back end of WhatsApp. So I have all the stuff working in the background. We have our, if you want to send a text message to 951-888-13. Oh boy, one of those days. uh, Both. It's been a long day, folks. 
I worked a long day today at clinic, so my brain's a little bit fried. Bear with me. 951-888-0313. If you guys want to text that, it's fine. You don't have to um, call and have your voice uh, on the ether. So that's another option. So you have a voice and then you have also our good Google voice as well and WhatsApp. So there's a lot of ways to contact us. Okay, for the WhatsApp connection, the number, you just click on the screen and the QR code and it'll bring you into the end. So there's four ways to get connected, okay? And I hope to hear from you guys. Now, in regards to the topic, it's going to be the same thing that we've been kind of doing the last few days. It's the obscure kind of legends and monsters and weirdness that we'll be partaking in. And I found a good one, a couple, I have a, a bunch of good ones. Well, we already have a lot of people here. Rafael, how are you, my friend? Good to have you on the show. Let me just lower the music in the background and we'll get started with our first obscure paranormal. Now, these are known as the Ishango bone. The Ishango bone. It's a single bone. It's uh, deemed to be about 20,000 years old. And the reason that is odd is because it's a mathematical enigma. This particular bone is uh, one of the oldest known objects that may contain a logical or mathematical carving from 20,000 years ago. If you're interested in looking uh, at it yourself, the spelling is I-S-H-A-N-G-O, Ishango bone. In the Democratic Republic of Congo, the continent of Africa, an enigmatic ancient artifact was discovered that has puzzled historians and mathematicians for decades. The Ishango bone, discovered at the fisherman settlement of Ishango, is a bone tool and possible mathematical device that dates back to the Upper Paleolithic era. I'm going to put here. Of photographs for those of you guys that actually um, that watch the broadcast as opposed to hearing it only. And here is a picture of what the bone looks like. If you do a close-up of it, it has a lot of little strike marks. It's, um, it's a regular bone and it has a lot of little carvings, like little slits on it. So it's a bone tool, pathomatic medical device that dates back to the upper Paleolithic era discovered in Ashango. This dark brown curved bone, it's approximately 10 centimeters, 10 centimeters in length and features a sharp piece of quartz affixed to one end and possible and, and as a possible engraving, okay? The engravings of the Ashango bone have led to various theories about the meaning. Some believe they may be mathematically significant or have some astrological relevance. The bone itself displays a series of marks in three columns, which some interpret as tally marks. However, others have argued that these marks were used for counting or performing simple mathematical procedures. And once you analyze the bone uh, here with a little bit more precision, this is what you basically get. Okay. okay. 
the there's 168 etching on the bone and they are ordered in three par parallel columns along the length of the bone each marking with a varying orientation and length the first column or the central column along the most curved side of the bone is referred to as the m column from the french word milieu which means middle the left and right columns are respectively referred to as G and D as gauge, which is left, and droid, which is right, in French. The parallel markings have led to various tantalizing hypotheses, such as that the implement indicates an understanding of decimals or prime numbers. Though these propositions have been questioned, it is considered likely by many scholars that the tools was used for mathematical purposes, perhaps including simple mathematical procedures or to construct a numeral system. Very interesting, huh? Another speculation is that the engraving on the bone represents a lunar calendar with a history dating back 20,000 years. The Ishango bone is considered one of the oldest mathematical tools known to humankind. The Ishango bone was discovered in 1950 by Belgian explorer Jean de Haslin de Brancote while exploring the Congo. It was found amongst human remains and stone tools, indicating a civilization that lived up fishing and gathering in the area. Professor de Hainslin brought the Ishango bone back to Belgium, where it's now in, uh, stored in the Royal Belgian Institute of Natural Science in Brussels. Multiple molds and copies were made to, prepare, uh, to pre preserve this fragile artifact. The age of the Ashago bone has been a topic of debate among archaeologists, initially estimated to be 9000 BC to 650 BC. It is now believed to be around 20,000 years old. However, volcanic activity near the site has made it challenging to the mermaid to determine an accurate dating. The particular markings on this bone have fascinated mathematicians. Some believe that the bone indicates an understanding of decimal and prime numbers, as, I, as mentioned before. Others suggest it was a counting tool using a base 12 numeral system. Anthropologist Mr. Caleb Everett suggests that the bone may have been used for counting, multiplication, and as a numeric reference table. Meanwhile, archaeologist Alexander Marshak proposed that the engravings represent a six-month lunar calendar. Despite the various inter interpretations, there is still much speculation surrounding the true purpose and meaning behind this bone. Some caution against projecting modern cultural perceptions of numbers onto this ancient artifact and urge for further investigation into other symbolic material from the same area. The bone remains a fascinating puzzle, shedding light on mathematical and cultural knowledge of our ancient ancestors. Very cool. I'm, I'm, I personally believe that there was a lot of the ancients are, you know, had a lot of knowledge, very smart people, able to do wonders that we can't even emulate today. So I wouldn't put it past them that they can create some kind of numerical system in order for them to keep track of things, you know? Um, yeah. <clears throat> Let's see here. And like uh, these are the less um, the less discussed cases, if you will. So, like I said before, uh, before you guys are, I'm kind of giving you the 
the basics, you know, it's like a basic plot overrun over all these things that I'm going through. And if you guys feel the need to research further on your own, then obviously that's that's what I encourage. Now, this uh, odd-looking skull that I just posted in the show, uh, it's called the... Um, excuse me. One second here, guys. It's called the Mysterious uh, Star Child Skull, okay? This, the unusual features and composition of the Star Child Skull have baffled researchers and have become a subject of intense debate in the field of archaeology and paranormal. In the vast world of mysteries and the paranormal, few anomalies have captivated the imagination quite like the Star Child Skull, an abnormal human skull on Earth in Mexico. This artifact's enigmatic origin and nature have sparked fierce debate and left scientists and paranormal enthusiasts perplexed for many, many years. The Starchild skull came into the possession of Lloyd Pye, a writer and lecturer in the field of alternative knowledge in February of 1999. So it's basically a pretty new discovery. According to Pye, who passed away on December 9th of 2013, the skull was found around 1930 in a mine tunnel about 100 miles southwest of the Mexican city of Chihuahua in the state of Chihuahua, buried alongside a normal human skeleton which was exposed and lying supine on the surface of the tunnel. The skull is abnormal in several aspects. A dentist determined that it was a child's skull due to the unerupted teeth being impacted in the associated upper right maxillary region found in the skull. However, the volume of the interior of the star child's skull is about 160 cubic centimeters, which is 200 cubic centimeters larger than the, than the average skull uh, adult's brain and 400 cubic centimeters larger than an adult of the same approximate size. So it has a longer uh, capacity to have a bigger brain, if you will. Mainstream scientists insist the deformation of the star child skull is actually caused by a genetic disorder. It's very plausible, most likely hydrocephalus. This condition involves an abnormal accumulation of fluid in the skull, leading to the enlargement. But Pi had ruled out this possibility based on its unique shape. Pi said that hydrocephalus skull abnormally blows up like a balloon with different shapes. And due to this, the grove at the backside of the skull does not remain, but a clear grove can actually be seen in the star child skull. The skull's orbits are oval and shallow with the optic nerve canal, uh, canal situated at the bottom of the orbit instead of at the back. There are no frontal sinuses. The back of the skull is flattened, but not by any kind of artificial means. The skull consists of calcium um, hydroxyapatite, the normal material of mammalian bone, but there's an overload of collagen in it, much more than it's usual for human bone. The skull has half the thickness of any ordinary uh, human bones and also twice as dense as the ordinary human bones with a consistency more similar to that of dental enamel. Carbon-14 dating was performed twice on this particular skull. The first of the normal uh, human skull at the University of California Riverside in 1999 uh, and on the star child skull in 2004. Remember, they found a normal human skull and they also found the star child laying, hand to, uh, laying side by side. So the normal skull was radiated in 99. And in 2004, uh, their star child skull was uh, radiocarbon dated 
in Miami, so different universities. The largest radiocarbon dating laboratory in the world was the one in Miami. Both independent tests gave a result of 900 years plus and minus 40 years since death. DNA testing at the Trace Genetics in 2003 recovered mitochondrial DNA and determined that the child had a human mother. However, they were unable to detect nuclear DNA or DNA from both the mother and the, spy and the father despite six attempts. They realized that there was something wrong with the father's DNA. As per the evidence, they concluded that the child was a hybrid of a human mother and a father of mysterious origin. But a more advanced DNA testing in 2011 revealed something even more shocking. The DNA not only of the father, but also of the mother, did not appear to be human after all. Now, the genetic evidence indicates that the child did not have a human mother either. He was purely an otherworldly being. The star child skull represents a profound mystery that challenges our understanding of humanity's origins. It is glimpsed into the world beyond our own a world that demands further exploration and understanding. Very interesting. I've seen the skull a lot of times, but I never really delved too much into the history of it. And it's um, fascinating how, you know, hydrocephalus, if we, we were talking about the medical condition, usually affects kids, but the plates do not fuse until they're adults. You know, you, they, they have these softs, uh, the, the skull of children have a soft component to them that does not fuse all the way uh, until they're earlier, la later on in life. And the, this skull looks like it's completely fused and it looks very um, symmetric, if you will. Hydrocephal uh, hydrocephalic skulls look a little bit uh, defor more deformed. Let me see if I can show you a picture to compare. Um... But yeah, you guys should. Um... You guys should do some research on your own about the star child. I, I think I'm probably gonna maybe in the future look into it. I thought it was pretty fascinating, especially when they did the the new dating when it comes to like DNA. Here it is. So that that's what a hydrocephalic skull looks like. I mean, they're they're pretty horrendous because there's a lot of fluid that it's able to to back up. And then, so this one looks very, um, very even, if you will. You know, everything in the other one looks very squished in. This one looks almost as a, as a normal skull per se, just with a high, with a denser cavity or a larger cavity where the brain would be, which was actually proven. So, meaning that they probably had a, a that they definitely had a bigger brain. And if you look at the nasal structure of this uh, hydrocephalic skull that it's online right now you can also tell that there's a very big difference uh, in regards to the nose. Uh, the nasal opening there looks almost perfect. This one looks very squished. And the lack of, um, of sinuses. Sinuses are like these little cavities that we have in our skull to make the skull lighter. You've heard of sinusitis. You know, uh, you can have an inflammation. We have uh, four, four basic sinuses. We have one in each cheek region and one in between our eyes. So this one, you know, besides if it was a hydrocephalic case, why doesn't it have sinuses like a normal skull? So that's another thing to think about. But yeah, nonetheless, very interesting. That was our second case of the night, the star child. Again, I encourage you guys to either uh, text, call, or if you guys want to talk about 
Hey, Clutch, good to have you here, my friend. Let's go on to our third case of the night here, where we're kind of exploring more of the um, the stuff that people don't really talk about, you know, which is which is interesting, and as opposed to just kind of beating a dead horse, speaking about you know, foot uh, Bigfoot all the time. It's cool just to kind of talk about different things that are kind of under uh, more obscure. This next case is, is pretty cool, man. This is called the William Enigbalith. I'm going to put some pictures up. It'll, it'll be a, a visual show today. So for those of you guys that are listening to the podcast, I encourage you to go to uh, strangedayslive.com and be able to find the video so you guys can see the pictures while I'm kind of relating the cases. This is an enigma lith. So obviously lith has to do with stone and enigma well is something that it's been perplexing people. And this is what it what it is. It's basically a round stone with what looks like to be a plug that's right in the middle of the stone. And this is a close-up of the plug itself. It's like a three-pronged plug, uh, plug that seems to come from within the stone, sort of like um, like you were supposed to plug this into the wall and it would do something. So, um, in 1998, John J. Williams, who happens to be an electrical engineer, made a surprising discovery while on an excursion in a remote rural area of North America. He found what appeared to be an electrical connector protruding from the ground. He was intrigued, so he began digging and unearthed a small rock with a three-pronged plug embedded in it. Despite the curiosity surrounding this particular stone, Williams has remained uh, tight-lipped about its exact location where it was found. He fears that revealing the site may lead to the theft of other mysterious artifacts, if there should be any of them laying around. However, according to Mr. Williams, the curious stone was unearthed in an isolated location far from any human settlements, industrial complexes, airports, factories, an electronic or nuclear plant. Now, why would he mention that? Uh, it's very important because that would probably mean the chances of this being some kind of discarded uh, item will be less likely. The stone is known as a nigmalith or petradox. It has sparked controversy due to its uh, half a million dollar price tag and the extraterrestrial theory surrounding it. Now, I'm just going to, you know, the guy being an electrical engineer finding this kind of is a little sus for me, but we'll give him a benefit of a doubt. Many scientists believe it to be a hoax created solemnly for fame or fortune. I agree. According to them, it is nothing but a a power plug trapped in a volcanic rock or something else like that. However, Williams insists that the enigmalith is authentic and offers it to researchers for analysis. Although no one has taken up the invitation yet, that gives us some validity there. So if you find something, you're like, hey, take it and analyze it and tell me what you think. That gives it more credence. According to Williams, the embedded electronic component in the granite stone appears to have been part of a rocks for me, part of the rocks formation and not artificially attached. Huh. Geological analysis reveals that the stone is approximately 100,000 years old define conventional beliefs about human technology and development. The instrument trapped in the Petrodox has been compared to an electronic XLR XLR connector, and it exhibits weak magnetic attraction. Ohm meter readings indicate a strength similar to that of an open circuit. The three 
prong plug is held in place by an unknown matrix, which does not resemble any recognizable material. Although Williams prohibits breaking the specimen open, an X-ray examination revealed an opaque internal structure within the stone. Yeah, I was going to say, why don't they do an X-ray of this, of this thing? While skeptics dismiss the Enigma Lith as a hoax, uh, William believes that he has discovered either an ancient man-made relic or evidence of extraterrestrial technology. He eagerly awaits the authentication of the stone by scientists, but on condition that he is present during the analysis. Um, the Enigma Lith to this day remains intact and the research uh, costs will not be his responsibility to, to should somebody want to delve a little bit further. Some speculate that scientists are reluctant to investigate the specimen out of fear for what they may discover. If scientific analysis confirms that it is a hoax, it will be a carefully orchestrated deception. However, if I authenticate it, the Enigma Lith has the potential to revolutionize our understanding of human history. Researchers would also have to question the purpose of such an object embedded in a rock. Williams considers the site of his discovery to provide further evidence of past civilizations or extraterrestrial presences. His quest for open-minded investigation to thoroughly examine the site and delve deeper into the mystery of, of Enigma Lith presence to this day. According to the Silurian hypothesis proposed by NASA scientists, it is speculated that mankind may have risen and fallen multiple times over the millennia. Therefore, do you believe that an advanced prehistoric human civilization once thrived on Earth? Interesting. That's why I kind of like to examine these things that people haven't really um, delved too much into it because it kind of keeps things fresh. And for me, it's stuff that I, I've seen before, but I haven't really paid much attention. So it just kind of spikes my, um, spikes my, my, uh, interest for the paranormal even more. Now, this is something that's close to home. Um, I live in Southern California and off the, off our coast here, we have the Catalina Islands, which is probably about 25 miles offshore, I think directly across like what, what is Long Beach, California. And uh, I've personally been there before once and it was the closest to death that I've ever been because I went there with my friend who was um, an experienced, he was getting his pilot's license. And um, he was an experienced guy, very knowledgeable. He ended up working for the airlines after that. But uh, anyway, so as, as you try to get your driver, your pilot's license, you need a bunch of hours. So once you reach a certain level, obviously you have to fly and fly and fly to get more hours. Now he was fully certified to fly by himself and carry passengers. So he offered uh, a ride uh, for my friend and I. So we were three on this little airplane and we um, went to Catalina. It was a summer, summer, a beautiful summer day. But if you guys uh, ever flown into Catalina, it's a very small uh, airport okay and it's perched right at the top of a cliff okay so um, you have the problem of winds all of a sudden picking up and you know small airplanes with a little wind can kind of move in all sorts of sorts of directions so as we were approaching our landing uh, Catalina Airport you basically have the end the beginning of the runway and at the end of the runway there's a steep fall off because it's in the top of a hill 
So surrounded by cliffs is very scary. I would never fly into that airport again. As we approached uh, the landing site, for some reason there was a, a big, huge gust of wind, uh, I remember. And what happened was that the airplane um, was, uh, you know, instead of going straight, it got it got picked up by this wind and it moved to the left, almost like, probably like 30 degrees. And um, my body, being experienced, he was able to put on the, not break, but uh, put on the full power and we took off again and we made a second attempt. But yeah, we were pretty close to the end of the runway and uh, had he stuck the, the crooked landing, I don't think we would have made it or we definitely would have been in trouble. So that was one of the closest times that I've came to um, moving on to my next uh, life. So this particular case takes place in the island of Catalina and um, it is, it is commonly known as the discovery of a skeletal remains of a blonde giant on Catalina Island. Ralph Gideon is the gentleman you see with the shovel in the middle of the picture. And he starts, he was, he's standing right beside a dig uh, with the remains of a human giant that was found there in Catalina Island during the early 20th century. Um, as you can see this photo, there's, uh, there's a skull that happens to be on the top right, uh, top left-hand corner. There's uh, the remnant of another skull. That skull seems to be about the same shape of uh, Mr. G uh, Glidens. So that's more of a normal human. And if you compare at the bottom here, uh, there's a humongous skull or a humongous body, I should say. Um, if you stretch that out, let's say that Mr. Gilden was probably about 5'8". If you stretch this guy out, it'd probably be close to like 10 feet, I would say. So nestled off the coast of California lies Catalina, a place known for its stunning natural beauty and captivating history. But beneath this picturesque surface lies a mystery that has baffled researchers for decades. The discovery of mysterious blonde giants. In the early 20th century, again, a man by the name of Ralph Glyden stumbled upon something truly extraordinary. Glyden, an archaeologist and treasure hunter, uncovered a series of skeletons on Catalina Island that challenged the conventional beliefs about ancient civilizations. Glyden's excavation site revealed an astounding find, seven to nine foot tall skeleton with distinctively blonde hair. These mysterious giants were buried in shallow graves, leading Glyden to his and his team to question who these individuals were and how they ended up in Catalina Island. The discovery of these skeletons sent shockwave through the archaeological community and it completely contra uh, contradicted what historians thought they knew about the ancient population of North America. The unusual height and features of these individuals certainly raised eyebrows. They brought up questions surrounding their origins, possible connection to other ancient civilizations as well. As research examined these skeletons, they noticed a notable, uh, a notable absence of artifacts or possessions, uh, puzzling, uh, which are very puzzling observations. Could this mean that these giants were travelers or perhaps even refugees seeking refuge on Catalina Island? Glyden's meticulous notes speculated that these giants were descendants of a race of fair-skinned, blue eyes and red-haired giants who lived in the island long before any recorded history. Now remember a few shows ago when we were doing uh, we were doing stories about the Nephilim. Remember that the Nephilim supposedly are a crossbreed of humans. Uh, excuse me, of human, woman, 
and fallen angels, if you will. And so one of the attributes was that the Nephilim happened to be very, very tall in height, and they also possess red hair. So could this be some Nephilims that were, um, you know, off the that were doing stuff off the coast of California? And going back to our first one of our cases, the Star Child. Remember, the Star Child also had uh, supposedly human maternal DNA, and it had unknown uh, father DNA. Could that also be an account for a Nephilim child? Accounts such as giants could be found in northern, uh, in the northern Paitu oral history. These giants, known as the Saiteka or Saiduka, are legendary extinct people living in various localities in Nevada. Despite Glyden's extensive documentation, his findings obviously were met with skepticism and controversy by mainstream archaeologists. It always seems like the mainstream people block stuff from being added, you know? It's like they kind of already closed the book on what history is supposed to be, and that upsets me. It's like anything that kind of doesn't fit the narrative, they just close themselves. They're like, nope, we closed it. History, history is what it is, so we're never going to change it. Many dismiss his claims as mere fabrications or misinterpretations. Uh, skeptics say that there's no concrete evidence to support giants living off of Catalina Island. Um, while skeptical viewpoints in mind, it is crucial to distinguish fact from fiction. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence, they say. So, they've never done any DNA testing on the rem remains, and who knows where these remains are. The mystery of the blonde giants of Catalina Island obviously remains unsolved. And the skeletons, unfortunately, have been lost over time, leaving only Glyden's photographs and accounts as of the remainder of the enigmatic chapter in history. It is said that Glyden, towards the end of his life, sold his entire collection of artifacts and skeletons for a mere $5,000 in 1962. So in 1962, you can probably buy a car for about 1200 bucks so five thousand dollars will probably be the equivalent of about like seventy thousand dollars now not 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 a bad amount of cash but especially towards the end of someone's life it has also um, been claimed that some of the bones from glyden's collections were sent to university of california and the smithsonian good luck that's where they bury history probably sitting in a box somewhere uh, University of California didn't specify which one. We have a bunch here. However, when questioned about it, the institutions have consistently denied having any other such uh, specimen in their collection, of course. Tragically, Glyden passed away in 67 at the age of 87, uh, possibly taking with him many secrets of his work and possible answers. As the debate continues, Catalina Island now remains a serene gateway for visitors from around the world. You know, um, they have a lot of buffalo or bison actually uh, roaming Catalina Island. <clears throat> if you guys ever visit, it's a nice place to to visit uh, and maybe spend the night or so. They have uh, they have like I said bison and they have bison. They're also they call them b buffalo, but they're really bison uh, anyway. So they they have uh, they sell bison burgers or buffalo burgers there. And I, I I tried one. When I was that day, that I almost got uh, killed in a in an airplane crash, but uh, it was kind of um, it was kind of uh, meaty, if you will, like the gamey. It wasn't bad. I, I wouldn't have another buffalo burger, but it was kind of like a meaty, uh, more of a meaty flavor. Like you can tell, it was like a different uh, 
the texture was similar to cow it was probably the same but the flavor was a little bit more intense it wasn't um bad or anything but it just it, it's not something that is worth having again from in, in my opinion and uh, do you guys remember uh um have you guys ever watched uh, any old james dean movie the rebel without a cause if you've seen rebel without a cause which is um an old movie 1954 one of the james dean uh, love interest in that movie was natalie wood who was uh, a famous child actress she was actually the, the little girl when she was a little girl she played um the little girl in the uh, anyone that remember that christmas movie sorry guys this is live shows and i guess sometimes i just i go where um where the story takes me let's see here filmography um uh, it was called um yeah the miracle on 34th street she's a little girl one that didn't believe in santa that's natalie wood and she went on to play a lot of roles i'm sure you guys are familiar with her why do I mention Natalie Wood when it comes to Catalina Island? Because that's where Natalie Wood drowned in 1980. She, uh, 1981, she fell off uh, of a boat at night. Very mysterious consequences. If you guys ever look at a Natalie Wood's biography or the cause of death, uh, it was very, very odd, very mysterious. She said to have been awoken at night by a buoy, a buoy that kept on smashing next to her on the boat. But Natalie Wood was ter terribly afraid of water. And they said that um, she tried to get the buoy back into the boat so as to not to make noise. And then she was found um, the next day floating. Fun fact, Robert Wagner was her spouse. He's also known for many um, television appearances. And he was obviously in the night, uh, in the boat that night uh, of her demise. And there was somebody else there that you guys know about. Christopher Walken was also inside of the boat. It was three people, Christopher Walken, her husband, Robert Wagner, and Natalie Wood. And if you guys don't know who, uh, I'm sure you guys know who um, who Christopher Walken is. He's super famous. He's been in, uh, you know, The Deer Hunter. He's been in Catch Me If You Can. He's been in Pulp Fiction. He's been in, man, in a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of films. And he actually happened to to be there that night. Let me hear. Go here and tend to the. <clears throat> All right. Okay, let's go here to the join that clock logger. She looked into this is Clutch, one of our listeners. She looked into stories about giants mining tin around the Great Lake area. They have a huge amount of it in, in, in Europe in the Bronze Age. They need tin to make bronze. It can be proven. It came from North America. That's really cool. Miracle on 42nd, a little bit off. Miracle on 34th, but thanks, Clutch. Yeah, she actually drowned. And uh, yeah, who was about Christopher Walken? Yeah, so yeah, you knew the story. All right, so let's go back to more of our obscure stories. Um, so that was the mystery of the of the giants found off on Catalina Island. Let's see what else we can 
just looking I'm just looking for a cool let's look at this story this is called the eight most mysterious islands with bizarre stories behind them speaking of islands were you guys into lost you know the tv show and i was really hooked on that show and yesterday i was talking to one of my patients and telling them how upset i was at the end of the show that it was just they kind of they really dropped the ball on the end of the show it could have been such so much better of a show but the ending just fell flat um, after spending, I think it was like six, seven seasons, man. That show could have been like an amazing show. And they dropped the ball in the end because uh, they were stuck in an island. But yeah. So we have a couple of mysterious islands here. The first one that we're going to talk about is Easter Island. <clears throat> and this fall, this is near, uh, near and dear to me because this happens to be part of where I was born. I was born in Chile, South America. And um, this is a property of Chile, or it's part of our country, Easter Island. Located in the Pacific Ocean, Easter Island is famous for his gigantic stones, uh, stone statues called Moais. I'm sure you've seen these Moais. These are the gentlemen with the serious look on their face. The stones aren't found anywhere in the region. Uh, the mystery lies in how the island inhabitants, the Rapa Nui people, were able to transport and carve these massive statues without the aid of any kind of modern technology. Additionally, the decline of civilization and the reason behind the statues of abandonment remains a con uh, remains conjectures. <clears throat> so what I know so far about Easter Island is that this island used to thrive. It was a beautiful tropical Pacific island full of trees, <clears throat> excuse me, full of trees, you know, full of wildlife and um, Basically, what led to the demise was the fact that they completely they deforested the whole island. They cut every single tree down. And so, you know, after that, people had no food to eat and uh, they did themselves in. Sort of like a microcosm of what could happen to us in the world if we don't take care of our resources. Um, it's also said that they used to roll... the they used to roll the stones uh, in uh, with tree trunks so they would put them flat against their back and just use like little like tree trunks to roll them around the island what's really cool about these moai statues is that if um, you know the you only, you probably see like one third of the moai they have a there's a big piece of 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 statue quote unquote that's actually buried underneath that is obviously not visible but serves as the base of the Moai. So sometimes when they unearth Moais, maybe um, because they're shifting or they just want to fix them or for some kind of explorations, they found that these guys is, you know, usually you're used to seeing the head, probably the shoulders or the belly, but yeah, sometimes it can go super, super deep uh, as far as the excavation is, it's noted. There's also quarries, uh, which incomplete, uh, with incomplete Moais that uh you know that kind of tells you or lends you to believe on how they were carved there's a couple of toppled uh moais and there's actually moais all over uh i should say all over the world but there's 
in uh, some museums around the world, they've, they've been uh, able to take some moais abroad. Yeah, there was uh, also supposedly in, in Easter Island, the people that used to live there, they had a, there was a battle between two factions and they, they kind of killed themselves. It's an interesting, it's an interesting little island. Very expensive to fly to, by the way. Um, but, uh, you know, it's only a five mile circumference. So it's a tiny, tiny, tiny little island. But, uh, it, some people, um, myself included, I wouldn't mind going there. Um, once in my life to kind of, you know, be able to walk and be able to experience the these these statues. I think that would be kind of a nice thing to do. Now, Oak Island, I'm, I'm just briefly going to mention because Oak Island is, you can do, you know, 15 hours worth of podcasts. This is an island that's actually in Nova Scotia. And uh, it's been the subject of numerous treasure hunting expeditions. The island supposedly holds a buried treasure I believe either to be buried by pirates or the Knights Templar. And despite several attempts to uncover the treasure, including the notorious money pit, no conclusive evidence of any treasure has been found, leaving Oak Island one of the greatest unsolved mysteries. There's a lot, a lot of stuff on Oak Island. There's actually a TV show too. What's cool is that, uh, you know, the pit is definitely man-made uh, because they've been, you know, as you go down and you build and you build and you uncover more things are sort of deposited in a way that that you know that that it's it lends you to believe that it's man-made there's like different there's regions where there's like wood there's region where there's like stone and so on and so forth and one of the theories says that the pit is actually a distraction and that the treasure is buried elsewhere because uh, a lot of people have passed away by trying to get to the to the treasure, quote unquote. It was very amazingly designed, engineered, I should say. And there's a lot of stations where it actually gets flooded by the by the by the ocean. So if you get like 20, 30, 40 feet below, it starts getting flooded because it's connected to um, to underwater channels, if you will. Yeah, so it's that's pretty end. The next one is called Socotra. That's funny that they mentioned this. <clears throat> Socotra is one of the destinations that I want to go to. I found this island like 10, 20 years ago. I was doing some just, you know, sometimes you go to Google Maps and you come across strange places. And uh, Socotra just really caught my eye. It was it's an amazing island. I'm actually going to put some video, uh, some images here so you guys can take in the beauty of Socotra Island. It looks, it's just like the closest to an alien world that you can get on in Earth. And once you see the landscape, because they have these particular trees that are, I would say they're they're native of, of Socotra and nowhere else. Um, you'll feel like you're in, in another in another planet. It's very beautiful. I'm gonna put them, just be patient with me. Hey Daniel, thank you always being so supportive. I appreciate you. Hey, Chinchi, good to have you here. Okay, so here I'm going to put some pictures of Socotra. They have these trees that are just majestic, beautiful looking trees. So check this out. These trees are super tall and they have like these um, pink, this, this pink sort of flowers emanating from the, from the top of it. And then you have these channels or these rivers that are just like amazingly with a greenish hue that just 
mind-boggling how beautiful it is. And then you have these other kind of trees that grow on the island. They have that this weird kind of canopy feel to them, you know? So if, yeah, if you guys do research on Socotra, you're gonna really like it. Check out these, these are the trees. So imagine a landscape where you have all these weird trees laying around. I think it would be magical to go there. They do, um, and the beaches are, are amazing as well. Like that, check that out. It just looks out of, you know, it looks like a CGI photo from some kind of like science fiction story. Very beautiful. You guys do, do uh, go to YouTube later and, and find, uh, do a video on Socotra. S-O-K, excuse me, S-O-C-A-T-R-A, Socotra. And it's right off the coast of Africa. It's a beautiful place. So what do they say about Socotra? Located off the coast of Yemen, Socotra Island is often referred to as the alien island due to its unique and alien-like flora and fauna. The island is home to various rare and endemic species, some of which are not found anywhere else in the world. Its isolation and distinct ecosystem have led to numerous speculation about its origins and about its evolution. The other island is called Poveglia Island. Uh, these are very short snippets. I'm just located near v Venice. Poveglia Island is known as one of the most haunted places in the world. The island once served as a quarantine station for those affected by the, pl the plague, leading to countless deaths. It is said that the spirits of the victims still linger, making this island a chilling and mysterious destination. This is Poveglia. Island number five is called Hashima Island. I'm going to put a picture because it's very interesting here so you guys can take a look. Yeah, here it goes. So this one is Hashima Island. And uh, Hashima Island has also been known as a ghost island. Um, it is an abandoned coal mining settlement located in Japan. The island's eerie appearance and dilapidated buildings have made it a popular attraction for urban explorers and photographers. This haunting history as a forced labor camp during World War II adds to the island's mysterious allure. Imagine being uh, like in the middle of, uh, it almost feels like it's like a fake man-made island, huh? But imagine, um, I mean, you can turn that into an awesome resort, I would imagine. Putting a nice hotel there. You can have uh, like a nice pier going on. But yeah, imagine being in the middle of, you know, being a coal miners that being like 200 feet underwater. That must be a very high stressful uh, job. No, thank you. The other island is called the North Sentinel Island. This a small remote island in the Adamant Sea is inhabited by the Sentinelese, one of the world's last uncontacted tribes. The Sentinelese fiercely reject any form of contact or interaction with the outside world, attacking any individual who ventures too close to the island. The tribe's language, customs, and way of life remain largely unknown, making North Sentinel Island one of the most creative, secretive, and mysterious places on Earth. Yeah, there's been a lot of stories about North Sentinel Island. There was one about, I would probably say about four years ago, there was a gentleman who wanted to proselyte, uh, wanted to, to take religion to the island. And he, send, uh, he set off on his canoe and he was never heard from again. 
One of the reasons that I heard other people don't want any contact with the outside is the fear of any kind of disease that uh, people may bring, which, as you can imagine, these people here probably never encountered uh, the measles. They've never probably had any um, hepatitis. They never had any of the stuff that we've been exposed to. So if somebody comes here with one little bug, they can, uh, you know, it could be the end of a civilization that's been there for thousands of years. And the last island, oh no, this is the seventh, I'm sorry. The seventh island is called the Isla de las Muñecas, or Iceland, uh, the island of the dolls. The Isla de las Muñecas is a small island located uh, near Mexico City, Mexico. This island is known for its collection of dolls hanging from trees and buildings. The island's caretaker, caretaker Don Julian Santana, who lived on the island alone for 50 years, believed the dolls were possessed by the spirits of drowned girls and started collecting them to appease their souls. The island is said to be haunted and continues to fascinate explorers. I'm going to put some pictures of this too so you guys can check it out. Isla de las Muñecas. Can... A lot of people have fear of dolls. What is it about them? That they could be like the vessels for the soul or the people that are able to take possessions, you know, because they're similar to humans. And then we have all the, the scary movies that take place of people being, of people possess, possessing dolls, I should say. So this is a, a few pictures from Isla de las, de las Muñecas. So there you go. Contenido maldito means uh, maldito. How would you transfer? Evil content, I guess. I guess those those are the dolls that are uh, supposedly cursed. Or, and there's more island, more dolls there in the second set of pictures. This is another photograph of Isla de las Muñecas. So pretty busy, huh? A lot of stuff hanging around. Okay, and our eighth and final island is called the Palmyra Atoll. The Palmyra Atoll is a remote and inhabited coral atoll located in the Pacific Ocean, nearly halfway between Hawaii and American Samoa. While it may not be well known, there are a number of reasons that this island is mysterious. The remote island has a history, a dark history, involving pirates, shipwreck, and mysterious disappearances. Throughout history, Palmyra Atoll has been the subject of territorial disputes. The United States claimed sovereignty over the island in 1859, but its ownership has been corrected, uh, contested by various parties over the year. These disputes have led to le uh, long legal battles and challenges. During World War II, Palmyra Atoll was used as a U.S. Navy airbase. The Atoll was an essential strategic position in the Pacific due to its location. However, after the war, the U.S. military abandoned the facilities, leaving behind various remnants of structures and equipment, which can still be seen on the island until this day. 
1974, a wealthy San Diego couple, Buck and Stephanie Collar, set uh, sail to Palmyra Atoll on their yacht. They were accompanied by Stephanie's ex-boyfriend, John Walker. Now, why would you take your ex-boyfriend with your husband? who had a reputation as a violent and manipulative individual. After arriving at Palmyra, tension escalated, resulting in Walker doing away with Buck Collar, which was her husband, and kidnapping Stephanie. The incident led to a high-profile trial and subsequent legal proceedings. Yeah, guys, it's, you know, if you're going to go sail um, with your lady, don't take her ex-boyfriend with you. I mean, there's nothing in it for you. There's definitely could be something for the uh, lady, but nothing else good for you. So that uh, that trip already started uh, as a mess. Let me hear you can go man the station here. Go see how everybody else is doing. Let's see what are the comment section. Hey, Chinchi. Am I getting your messages? No. Let me see. Where are you? Uh, um, let me see here. No, I have not gotten your messages. Where are you sending them? Let me see here. I'm checking the Google Voice. There's no messages here. This is the 951 0313, there's nothing there. I'm checking my WhatsApp. There's nothing there. And I'm checking my personal number and there's nothing there. So I'm not sure anyway you're sending, uh, I'm not sure where you're sending your messages, but I haven't gotten them. Um, um, JD Friends Podcast, he ain't responding. I don't know who JD is. Kind of confused. Sorry. Uh, so there's a bunch of islands, uh, Chinchi, that we 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 talked about. There was eight islands actually. Um, I'll recap them for you. So the first was Eastern Easter Island. The other one was Oak Island. So Cultura was the weird one with all the weird trees. Poveglia Island was the one that was hunted in Italy. Hashima Island was the old uh, island in Japan that had the 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 people that used to call mine north sentinel island is the island that's uninhabited excuse me that's inhabited by a tribe that doesn't let anybody go in isla de las muñecas or the island of the dolls and then you have the palmyra atoll those were the eight islands that were uh, discussed today so let me see if i can yeah i just posted them for you um Yeah, I just posted them for you there, uh, Chin Chi. But I haven't gotten your message. So um, if you want to message me directly, triple, uh, excuse me, 951-888-0313. And uh, yeah, that's, that's where you can get. If you need something, uh, that's where you can uh, message me. All right. So uh, we're getting close to an hour. I'm, I'm keeping our shows to an hour. I think the podcast world, the podcast, uh, the post podcast people appreciate it. I've been really doing well with the podcast. A lot of people have been listening, and um, 
We have podcasts that's in Spotify. If you look under Strange Days Paranormal, remember, it's not Strange Days Live on the podcast. I titled it Paranormal because I want people to look for Paranormal and my name to pop up. So follow me, uh, the show at uh, Spotify under Strange Days Paranormal. If you have Amazon podcasts, we are there as well under Strange Days Paranormal. And if you have Apple uh, podcasts on your iPhone, go ahead and subscribe. Same thing, Strange Days Paranormal. Continue to... um, to promote me and to like my videos because it really helps me to get the get, you know get to where I want to get and that is to do phone calls and interviews only and on some off day I might do what I do now which is kind of read weird news but um, my desire is to have interviews or to have people call in to be a call a live call show so if you guys can help me in that that would be wonderful and I thank you guys for joining us. One hour. Like I said, I'm going to keep these uh, short and sweet. Thank you guys for joining us, for taking part in this show today. And may God bless you. And uh, have a happy remaining Valentine's Day. San Valentinos. God bless you guys. I hope you have a, a beautiful night. Take care of one another. And I'll be here tomorrow. God be willing. Take care, guys. Thank you.